This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to Aquarium Mania. I'm your host, Dr. Roy Anong, speaking to you from the University of Florida's Tropical Aquaculture Laboratory. Thanks for joining us. Aquatic gardening, whether in ponds or aquaria, is both a science and an art. Just the right mix and quantity of plants and an expert touch can mean the difference between a tank with plants and an aquascaped masterpiece. My guest today, Sam Rutka, is the freshwater manager aquascaper and plant specialist at Easy Aquariums, a specialty aquatics and reptile store in Gorham, Maine, as well as a master underwater gardener. Join us as Sam leads us through the art and science of aquascapes. Does your dog itch, scratch, stink, or shed like crazy? Come to Dynavite for help. Order a 90-day supply of Dynavite. Dynavite for life. Pick up two tubes of Dogosuds. Get the third tube free. Peppermint, tea tree, lavender, Dogosud shampoo. Made with all-natural coconut, jojoba, aloe. Great for healthy skin and soft, shiny coats. But no itchy, harsh chemicals. Lather up, rinse away. Try Dogosuds. Buy two, get one free. At Dynavite.com. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Aquarium Mania on Pet Life Radio. My guest today is Sam Rutka, freshwater manager and aquatic plant guru at Easy Aquariums in Gorham, Maine. Hey, Sam. Thanks again for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. So you're, from everyone I've spoken to, you're kind of one of the big plant guys. And, you know, I want to kind of delve into some of the big picture kind of aquarium competition sort of things as well. But I, I always like asking my guests some personal questions first. Nothing too personal, but let's start with how you first got interested in aquatic life. Sure. Yeah. Well, growing up in Maine, there's a whole lot of life everywhere around you. There's a lot of plants, there's a lot of water, fresh water, salt water, you name it. And I was really lucky that I had a mother who was really into gardening. And her and I dug our first water garden pond in our backyard when I was about six or seven years old. And, and we dug this big hole in the ground, we filled it with water, we used a roofing liner to keep all the water in. And then we just planted it with moss and stuff we found around in other ponds nearby. And just over time, I realized how I just couldn't break myself away from looking under the surface of the water. It was just so fascinating how they, the creatures that lived there defied gravity and, and all these different plants. You're so used to growing up around plants growing up outside of water, but for some reason, just seeing them grow in the water really captivated me and that's definitely where it all started. That's pretty cool. Kind of set up a, a little pond when you were uh, only six or seven. So how did you actually get involved in the aquarium hobby more specifically? And, and what was your first aquarium and what kind of animals and or plants did you have in it? Yeah. Well, as a kid, you know, we all have different aquariums with goldfish and things like that. But when I, when I really got into it, so hard that I actually quit my other jobs and, and was fortunate enough to find work in the industry. I was setting up a whole bunch of tanks in my house. I was about 24 
at the time, and I was setting up a whole bunch of tanks in my house just because I wanted to recreate the pond at my childhood home. I, I was in a, I was thinking, what would be really relaxing, kind of zen-like, and and it it brought me back there. So I started setting up tanks in my house, and at first they were they were just plants. You know, I was getting back into the hobby after a while, and I just wanted plants and. Then I was like, well, you know, I can I could probably start to put some fish in here. They'll fertilize my plants, you know, and interact with the plants, which is also nice. Uh, but it was definitely for me, it was always all about the aquatic plants, and everything else kind of came after. I was pairing my fish with the plants instead of the other way around, which I feel is how most hobbyists do it. And so then, how did you become interested in more formal aquatic gardens and aquascaping? Well, I guess when people started asking me to help them with their tank or to set up a tank at at their house, I actually started going to my local fish store, which is Easy Aquariums in Gorham, Maine. And before I knew it, I realized that the owner of the store was actually like checking in on me like, hey, are you going to be by today? I guess some customers were actually asking where I was and they were checking in to see what times I normally came by the store so that they could ask me questions about plants. And I'm always more than happy to talk about any kind of plant. So one day I was just like, hey, if people are asking for me, maybe I just start working for you. And he said, you know what? I think that's a good idea. And it was as easy as that. Just after that, I, I started showing up. I put in my two weeks notice at my other job and just kind of started helping people by talking to them about plants. And it's funny, it still to this day feels more like people are just tolerating me talk at them about plants, but I'm told people are actually asking questions and are interested. So any opportunity is fine for me. And uh, and from there, now that I had a platform with Easy Aquariums, I was able to go out to the aquatic experience in Chicago. This year it's in New Jersey, but a few years back when it started, it was in Chicago. And um, I went there and I signed up for the Aquatic Gardeners Association aquascape tank contest, uh, the nano tank contest. And um, it was very fortunate. I for my first ever aquascaping contest, I came in third, and that was that was fantastic. It was a, a wonderful rush to hear Oliver not read my name when he was announcing the winners, and, and I've been back every year ever since. So how long ago was that? That would have been four years ago. It was the second ever aquatic experience, if I recall correctly. I missed the first one. Okay. So I have to maybe uh, ask real quick, can you uh, give us a, a real quick brief overview of Easy Aquariums, just to kind of hear yeah. where you're actually working. So we're uh, we're a specialty aquatic store, like I said, in Gorham, Maine, which is 15 minutes west of Portland, Maine. And we have a huge saltwater selection with a 10-foot coral table with a whole bunch of different frags. And then the other half of the, the main showroom of our business is all the freshwater, and that's where I spend most of my time. You'll see a lot of plants. We boast one of the largest selections of aquatic plants, certainly in Maine and possibly in New England. And we have a huge selection of hardscape. I have about 20 feet devoted just to natural wood that people can sort through and kind of mock up in aquascape dojos around the store and really design their perfect layout. And then towards the back of the store, in the back of our showroom, we have our reptile and amphibian section, 
where we sell everything from you know bearded dragons to poison dart frogs to morning geckos, basically whatever we're allowed to sell in the state of Maine, which unfortunately is a pretty short list. But we do pretty well and, and we have a great time. We even have a classroom upstairs where we host special events, sometimes the occasional birthday party. And uh, we also give special talks and workshops. I have a Polidarium building workshop coming up that I'm excited about with University of New England, which is a university up here in Biddeford, Maine. That's cool. Sounds like a pretty uh, awesome place. And uh, yeah, I know you wrote that article for uh, Amazonas, I guess, on Paludariums, right? Yeah, Polydarium Primer was my first article ever to be published, and they gave me the cover on Amazonas Magazine. So I was very, very excited about that. And now I have a reoccurring column in Amazonas Magazine where I write about, where I basically spotlight a few different species of plants. I usually each issue will pick a a genus or a, a greater family, and and I'll kind of talk about a few different plants and include some photos, and just to kind of you know keep some of these plants that are are new to the hobby, bring them to the attention of everybody, but also remind people that there are some classic plants out there that are still beautiful and can be used in very new and creative ways. So let's let's attack uh, planted tanks, aquatic gardening, etc. right now. And, and for a lot of people, it's probably a whole new universe. Uh, as you mentioned, most people kind of look at the fish first, although there are obviously many that are real interested in the uh, on the plant side. Before we maybe discuss kind of the different styles, I know there's a lot of really uh, technical information and, and cool different varieties of scapes people are using and developing. Can you give us a, a little primer on planet text in general? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you really hit it on the head. There are so many different types of planted tanks, but and a, a lot of technical details and things like that, not to make it sound daunting, because everybody can do it and everybody should try, because it's a lot of fun. But um, you'll see a lot of tanks. I know right now a really popular genre of planted tank, if you will, would be like a Georama. And when you hear somebody say Georama tank, they're mostly talking about an aquascape in a tank that looks like it could be a landscape viewed from far away. So you'll see a lot of exposed rock, maybe some canyons and or a sloping hillside or, or a real craggy mountaining looking ridge with a lot of small plants planted around to maintain that, that forced perspective look of a faraway landscape. And that's a pretty popular one. There's, of course, uh, the godfather of aquascaping Takashi Amano. He's well known for his his jungle nature tanks where it's just full of lush, vibrant, beautiful plants all configured in a way that looks like it would exist in nature. And um, that's probably my personal favorite. There's, of course, a more minimalist approach like Wabikusa where they have a few different stones and they're placed in, in a specific way. And that has a very strict judging criteria if you want to go way down that rabbit hole. Or you can just make a, a nice-looking minimal scape with a, with a few big rocks and some nice, simple plants. And those are just a few of the different types. I know that one that's growing in popularity very quickly, which I'm very happy about, is the blackwater tanks. I know when a lot of people think of aquascaping and plants, they don't really think about the blackwater tanks because there's not a whole lot of plants that you use. But there are some aquascapers out there that are doing incredible work with these botanicals, you know, the the fallen leaves, the seed pods, and um, they're using floating plants or plants that really tolerate the low light because of the rich tea-colored water does absorb a lot of that light. But there's some really cool stuff going on out there. 
one person comes to mind in, in particular. I know Corey Hopkins has some of the best blackwater tanks I've seen out there, and he's he's just a delight to be around, but he's got some fantastic stuff if you're looking for good examples of that. And you can get stuff for those blackwater tanks at Tannen Aquatics. He imports this fantastic selection of different seed pods and stems and leaves and just about anything you can think of. So I've heard of also of a uh, style, uh, the Dutch, I guess the Dutch style, is there, how is that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, the Dutch style tank is arguably the original planted tank, depending on who you talk to, that could be quite a debate. But if you look at photos of tanks on on these nice filigreed iron stands with uh, pieces of glass supported by different pieces of metal welded together, you see these tanks and they're just full of individual species kind of put together in, in a way. I like to describe it as these plants are very beautiful, they're healthy. It's just like walking into a garden. You, you look at these plants, they were clearly put there by a human, but they're still healthy, they're vibrant, they're beautiful, and they're laid out in a way that's very aesthetically pleasing, but not necessarily natural. Kind of like, this isn't where the name comes from necessarily, but kind of like the tulip fields in the Dutch landscape. You see a lot of beautiful plants organized in rows and grids uh, sometimes, and, and they just great way to show off different colors and textures of plants and have a real vibrant tank. So I guess, how would you rank these? And, and actually, no, maybe before we even go there, what makes a, a plant an easy plant to grow and raise? And how would you sort of mesh the ease of keeping a, a, a plant in tank versus some of these styles? Yeah. So let's start with the first part. What makes an easy plant to grow, I would say, is kind of be broken down into two very important categories, and that's is it hardy? Is it going to tolerate uh, a little bit of, let's say, neglect from time to time if you go on vacation with the family or, or something comes up? And also, the availability, I think, has a lot to do with the ease of a plant to grow. If something's really hard to find, it's going to be harder to practice with that plant. You know, it, it's not always going to work right out of the gate. Some plants are going to melt when they ship. Some of them are, are grown above water, so they, they kind of have to undergo a transitionary period when they grow underwater. So if you have a hard time getting a plant, that doesn't necessarily bode well for its ease of growth. But if you can get it, you can certainly practice a lot more and figure out what that needs. But plants that are very tolerant to swings in temperatures and pH and are not too demanding with light are ones that I would consider on the easier level to grow. Things like members of the Echinodurus family, like the swords. Uh, everyone knows the ubiquitous Amazon sword, and there are actually a few different sub-variants of that. And those are very nice, easy-to-grow plants if, if you know how to plant them right and, uh, and know what to provide them. But for me, the easier plants are ones that are tolerant to changes and are ones that you can usually get your hands on. So um, can you maybe list a couple others? The Amazon sword is a great example. What, what are some other uh, easier plants for folks? Yeah, the, the whole group of Anubias plants. You know, there's Anubias non petite, which is the adorable tiny-leafed Anubias. There's the standard Anubias nana, which has the same 
smooth texture leaf, but much larger. The coffifolia has great deep-seated veins in the leaves, and it's a dark, dark green color. All those Anubias plants are fantastic, easy to grow, very tolerant of changes in parameters and low light. But it is important that you know how to plant each of these plants. Just like when you are researching fish, you want to know what kind of water they like. Do they like a lot of current? It's similar with plants. Are they going to want to be plugged right into the substrate? like with the Echinodurus grouping. If you're planting a sword plant, you want to be able to see the tops of the the root crown when you plant it. Because if you plant it too deep, it actually suffocates the base of the stem, and that can kill the whole plant. So it's an easy plant to grow if it's planted appropriately. With Anubias, for example, or even like a, a java fern, you don't want to put that right in the substrate. You'll want to attach it to a rock or maybe a, a piece of wood or or something like that. You bury this that rhizome, which is that horizontal growing stem where the roots and the leaves come off at the same point, you want to leave that above the substrate so that it can essentially breathe and stretch across the the stones and rocks and continue to grow and have something to grab onto. I'm also a a big fan of the different grasses. I think they have a kind of a, a reputation for being tricky because they can develop hair algae problems pretty quick. But if you have adequate flow and, and decent light and a good cleanup crew, then you can have a beautiful carpeting lawn. And in some instances, you don't even necessarily need to have CO2, though that can help tremendously. Okay, well, that's a great kind of primer. I, I think we uh, have to take a short break right now. Uh, we'll continue our discussion of planet tanks and aquascaping with my guest, Sam Rutka, after these messages from our sponsors. It's designerpetsweaters.com. Hand-knitted designer sweaters for your precious pup or cool cat. Beautiful couture patterns for your pets, including custom-knitted formal wear, casual wear, yachting, and even sports-themed. Many designer pet sweaters include feathered tammy hats, top hats, and a lot of sparkle. Each sweater includes leg loops, front paw sleeves, and leash opening. Visit designerpetsweaters.com to order your four-legged fashions today. Large or small, we fit them all. Designerpetsweaters.com Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. We're back and continuing our conversation with my guest, Sam Rutka, freshwater manager and aquatic plant guru at Easy Aquariums in Gorham, Maine. So, Sam, we kind of talked a little bit about some of the easier-to-grow plants, some kind of basic guidelines in general, um, maybe touching on that a little bit more. So, you mentioned water quality. Let's say you are a real, real beginner with plants, and you're maybe at, not yet going to go into any of the specific, more professional-style scapes. What would be sort of general recommendations for someone that just wants to set up you know, a, a real nice kind of beginner planet tank, you know, and, and even maybe talking about some of the fish species that would be a good mix with that. Yeah. So one thing that I get asked a lot at the store is how much harder are plants going to make my tank? How, you know, how much more work is it going to be for me to maintain my tank if I put plants in it? And I, I find it's very surprising to some people that when I tell them, well, if your plants are healthy, it's actually going to make your life a little bit easier. So Switching from artificial decorations over to live plants is, it can be a really good move, not just 
aesthetically and as a hobby, but also it can help out your fish quite a bit because just like a garden outside, when you put fertilizer and manure on it in the spring, the fish are providing that within the tank. And instead of just pulling it out with water changes, if you can have a living plant in there that's able to uptake that nutrients and strip it from the water, that's also going to help with the water quality for the fish. So when people are picking out their first planted tank, it's important to remember that not all the plants are going to have the same light requirement. That seems to be the biggest defining factor for people is is picking out the tank and getting the light. So if you get a tank kit from certain companies that comes with maybe a single bulb light fixture or some smaller LED diodes that are spaced out, then um, you know, you'll know you want to stick to the, the lower light requirement plants, such as the Echinodurus and the Anubius and you know the Java ferns and the mosses and things like that. But if you have a, a nice high light, the brighter the light, the more options you have for plant growth. But right out of the gate, I don't recommend diving in with a beautiful carpet of hemianthus calotricoides, the dwarf baby tears, you know, maybe work your way up to that. Setting realistic expectations, I think, is goes a long way. And when you start to have success growing some of these hardier varieties of plants, then I think that really helps bring you to the next level with that confidence, and then you can start growing something a little bit trickier. But as far as picking a tank and getting started, just remember that not all plants like to grow in the painted aquarium gravel substrate. So consider maybe a natural sand or like a a planted substrate like fluorite or eco-complete, not to buzz market any names, but there's a lot of really good substrates out there. And my personal favorite that I have in most of my tanks, I actually use different types of aquarium soil and you can see some phenomenal plant growth with that. It's just a little harder to rearrange your tanks without it turning a little brown for a day. But um, when starting off, ask your local pet store, what are some good low-light plants, and um, see what they have in stock and, and go with those. But it helps to do a little bit of research and remember to set realistic goals on plants. You're probably not going to have a perfectly pristine carpet right out of the gate, but I'm, I'm sure if you want one, you'll be there soon enough. And how about um, maybe what would be good fish for planted tanks in general? So that's going to depend completely on the size of the tank and the filtration you have. So one thing that I experience a lot is people will come in and they'll be like, hey, I've got a 55-gallon tank full of Malawi cichlids and I'd love to plant it. I'm like, well, that's while that will be very <laughs> nutritious for your fish, it's going to yeah, hurt exactly. your wallet quite a lot uh, and you might get frustrated. So knowing whether or not the fish eat plants is uh, is going to be the first thing. And the laws are going to vary from state to state. I know they're certainly restrictive in mine, but micro rasboras, small danios, my personal favorite fish, The uh, depending on what year it is, will depend on its scientific name, but it's sometimes called Boreris margaritatis, sometimes it's called the Celestius margaritatis, but it's the Celestial Pearl danio. It's a sensitive little fish, but it looks fantastic in planted tanks. It's like a small little brook trout. And uh, I, so I gravitate towards the, the micro species myself. But there's a, if you want to go a little bit bigger, you have different types of epistogrammas that do well with plants. And you can even work your way up to some of the larger fish. Just remember, if you go too big with the fish, like for example, a, a placostomus, they have a big old canoe paddle attached to their butt. So when they're walking around your tank, they probably are going to uproot a couple plants. So it's a, a good idea to keep that in mind 
the animals are living in these areas and you want to make sure they have plenty of room and you're not constantly battling the floating plants to the surface that aren't meant to be there. Well, that's great advice. Hey, so uh, let's talk a little bit about competitions and, you know, maybe we'll, in uh, our conversation, go into even some more detail with some of these different types of aquascaping that you mentioned earlier. Uh, You know, we've we've definitely talked about fish competitions and even aquarium competitions. Can you uh, maybe give us a little bit of an intro into the world of aquascape or planted tank competitions? Yeah, absolutely. I think that, well, what I want to start with is the first competition I was ever in, I was so nervous. I remember walking up to the competition table, seeing all the tanks lined up, and I was I was just terrified. You know, I, I didn't feel that I belonged there. Just some random kid from Maine thinks he can play with plants. And um, then, sure enough, right next to me was uh, a fellow named John Penny, and he uh, he and I just kind of started talking. It was it was both of our first competitions, and you know I I forgot to bring something as I flew from Maine, and and he drove there from where he lived, and and so I would borrow from him, and someone down the row a little bit would forget something or need something, and what blew me away was this sense of community and camaraderie that these people have, despite the fact that we're actively competing against one another. So it's. If anyone's worried about doing their first aquascaping competition or they're feeling nervous, the best advice I can give you is just sign up and do it. You know, rip the Band-Aid off, go out there. You're going to meet some phenomenal people that share the same passions that you have. And there's just this wealth of knowledge that you can get from all these other contestants. And even after the competitions, you know, we all like to get together and hang out. And there's a lot of really good Facebook groups where they'll help and answer questions to novices and experts alike. But generally, when you're you're in a competition, for the most part, they provide the tank with some filtration and some lighting. So everybody has a uniform startup. And then you just, you bring your own hardscape. Sometimes they'll allow you to bring your own substrate. Sometimes they provide it. And then you, you make the best living painting you can make with your hardscape, with your plants. Usually it's over the course of a day or two before judging. And, um... I recommend mocking it up at home first before you bring it in. Just get a vague idea. I know that myself and a few other aquascapers have been known to grow out their aquascape, their competition aquascape in a tank at home, and then tear it all down and bring it to the convention. Because you can't just walk in with a full tank. That is definitely cheating. But they, you know, it's totally fine to, to design something, think about it a lot. And then, of course, you have a couple people at the competitions who, who show up and they're going to buy their, their hardscape at the show. And, and they're just having a good time putting it together and hanging out with people with the same interest as them. And it's, it's an absolute blast. But when it comes to things outside of the aquascaping competition community, there's, there are some things that you want to focus on when you're doing a competition tank. And that's first and foremost, and this has burned me a few times in the past, is water clarity. The judges know you just set up a tank, but it's still your responsibility to make that tank look as crystal clear as you possibly can. And with that, there's a lot of sharing of like scrubbing filters and, you know, real fine mesh filters that we use to cycle and clear out the tank as quick as we can before judging. But making sure that your substrate's well rinsed, if it's soil, obviously you're not going to rinse it but because you won't have anything afterwards, but uh, make sure it's well rinsed so if you are making adjustments within the tank, it doesn't turn too, too cloudy. Uh, another thing that judges are going to be looking for are pieces of algae. If you have algae in locations where it's not supposed to be, 
and in some scapes that's absolutely nowhere, then you want to make sure that that's out because they'll, they'll look at that and they'll deduct points accordingly. I think, and this is some judges' pet peeves more than others, but you generally speaking, if you have, let's say, a piece of spiderwood or manzanita in your display, you don't want it touching the glass. You know, maybe it's touching one side or the back where it's meant to be to have the appearance of emerging from that side. But if you have like a tree, if you're making an underwater bonsai tree, you really don't want those branches to touch the side of the glass because it's going to alter the illusion of size and scale. And also on a more practical application, you'll have a hard time cleaning the algae around the points that make connection with the glass. So the judges are going to be looking at that as well. Um, Those are just a few things that I know some judges and when I judge myself, we look for. What are some of the big competitions in the U.S. and internationally? So there are some competitions that have more contestant entries than there are people in my home state. And we're talking huge international competitions like the IAPLC, which is the International Aquatic Plant Layout Contest. And um, that one is hosted out of Japan. So many people, I don't even know the actual number, but so many people are sending in these beautiful photos of aquascapes. Uh, So it is a photo competition. That's how you're able to have so many entrants and so many contestants, is these people are sending photos to a headquarters that have predetermined judges with predetermined criteria, and they go through and they judge depending on the size of the tank, as well as some subgenres. There's within, or rather under the IAPLC, there's the European branch. There are a few other international competitions that are, are more relegated to certain, certain other continents and other countries. But here in the United States, my favorite one, of course, has to be the Aquarium Gardeners Association competition in the Aquatic Experience, which again this year is going to be in New Jersey. And there's the Aquatic Gardeners Association convention, which usually has, it has had some competitions, but they also have a lot of really good seminars where they teach people to skate for a competitive style. And there are some other large ones around the country. I know that there's one that meets in Connecticut at the Northeast Aquarium Council convention. But I think the best way to do it is talk to your local fish clubs, talk to your local fish stores. If they have a competition, definitely sign up. And if they don't, maybe get together with a few friends and and start one up. See if you can't get an annual tradition going or even just a one-time thing. I know that we like to have people bring in photos from their tanks at home and we look at them and, you know, we'll offer up some discounts or some sale items in the store as prizes. But anytime you can get a group of like-minded people together to plant some water boxes and judge each other, I think is a good opportunity. And if nothing else, is great practice. Now, going back, you mentioned a couple of the criteria earlier. Are there any other criteria that you you can think about with these other competitions? You mentioned things like water clarity and, you know, obviously making sure some of the wood's not touching the glass and the algae. Any other sorts of hints for people? I think the most obvious one, but still needs stating, is if your plants don't look healthy, 
you're not going to do well in the competition. It could be the most stunning hardscape you've seen in your life. Just beautiful, perfect rock placement everywhere. And then just have a bruised Bucephalandra in the back or, or a, you know, an Amazon sword that was buried too deep and it's starting to rot at the base. That's going to lose you the most points. So when doing an aquascaping competition, it's a good idea to focus on plant species that you've had really good success with because they're going to look the healthiest. They're going to have the most vibrant colors, the most brilliant textures, and you really want to to practice with those plants that you're going to utilize in the aquascape before you get there so that you can ensure you have some nice, healthy livestock, both plants and animals. Beyond that, I think there's a lot of different aesthetic choices that vary from judge to judge. I know there are some judges that really appreciate a lot more rock-heavy aquascapes. And some judges like it when you use artificial decorations like little plastic Pikachus or a small tiger coming out from under a bush. And other judges don't quite favor that as much. So even though it's a competition where people are, are working within parameters and guidelines, there still is a lot of room for personal appreciation when judging an aquascaping competition. They try to be as um, impartial as possible, but there's always going to be a little bit of bias no matter what. So having healthy plants, clear water, no algae, appropriate hardscape, those are the things that are going to get you the furthest. And then just making sure you have a good representation and you should be all set. You know, there's one one type that maybe we sort of implied, but I know um, some folks may not be familiar. Can you talk a little bit about biotope planet tanks? Absolutely. So first, I'm going to double back to the jungle style tank, like the natural aquariums that Takashi Amano really just did amazing work with. Those, while they look like they could be occurring in nature, a lot of those scapes, if you look at individual plant species, you'll say, oh, well, that one's from Africa and that one's from Thailand or that one's from South America. So those aren't all from one geographic location, though they look like they could occur in nature. Sometimes I jokingly will call that like an artificial biotope. It looks like it could be real. But those of us with no social life that talk to plants, we see that that one's just not from that continent. With a biotope, Depending on how strict you want to go with the biotope rules, you want everything from the same geographic location. So if you're doing like a simple biotope tank from like South America and you're going to have some Amazonian plants, you don't want to include a species of cryptocarin from West Africa. That would defeat the biotope process. You want everything to be from one area the fish, the plants, and the hardscape, if you can. That can be tricky, though, because there are a lot of countries that simply don't allow export of their hardscape. So you'll find something that, that's similar, a facsimile, like a rock that would match something or some wood that you would think you could find there. And then really sticking to different species of plants and animals that are from one location. That is what makes a really good biotope. And there are phenomenal biotopes competitions all over the place. It's a it's growing in popularity and a lot of the biotopes are focusing on black water tanks, you know, that real nice tinted tea color water. And those are predominantly going to be, you know, rivers like in the Amazon, the Rio Negro. There are also some really nice dark water habitats throughout the whole world, but I, I tend to favor the Rio Negro myself. So besides yourself, um, maybe just so people can get some name recognition, who are some of the other really big names in uh, aquascaping? Yeah, so 
as mentioned before, Corey Hopkins is a really good friend of mine, and I absolutely love his tanks. He does fantastic work. John Pinney, who I was fortunate enough to be next to at my first aquascaping competition, he's gone on to win first place for the past two, maybe even three years at the Aquatic Experience, which has been a lot of fun to watch. And I feel, I'm so sorry for all my friends who I'm I'm not remembering right now, but there are just so many phenomenal aquascapers out there. Just Googling aquascape will bring you to all these different things, all these different locations, all these different people, and they all have different styles and different flares. Oliver Knott is definitely one of the most internationally recognized. They call him the bad boy of aquascaping. And um, he, of course, is from Germany, and he studied under Takashi Amano. So he learned from the best, and and it shows in his products. He makes some fantastic work. There's uh, George Farmer. He does phenomenal work as well. His tanks are absolutely incredible. And that's just to name a few. There are so many others out there, and there are more and more every year. Well, I appreciate that. You know, I'm I'm definitely going to ask you probably in a little bit, a little while, um, to come back and talk to us about paludariums. How do you say paludariums? <laughs> so here's the best part about that is uh, yeah. it's a dead language. So nobody can <laughs> judge you for how you pronounce it. So long as the letters are in the right order, you're good for me. But we normally just call it polydarium. I've heard paludarium. I've heard paludarium. Any of those work great for me. That sounds good. Yeah, I definitely want to hit you up with another interview on on those, which are, are incredibly fascinating as well. But well, unfortunately, we're out of time. So I uh, I wanted to maybe before we completely close out, um, and before I ask you for your final words of wisdom, do you have any other FAQs that you get a lot of that we didn't cover? Yeah, the majority of the FAQs that I get are coincidentally related to things like polydarium building. And I think the most important piece of advice I could give to anyone who's going to make an artificial background in an aquarium, a terrarium, or a polydarium, or riparium, vivarium, whatever you're working on, just remember, expanding pond foam does not stick to glass. Silicone sticks to glass. Pond foam sticks to silicone. But pond foam will not stick to glass. I learned that lesson a very hard way by having an entire rock background that I put together just peel off the glass, fall right through the front panel. So oh, learn from my mistake. That's bad, yeah. <laughs> well, that's good. Good, Definitely good advice. So with that said, do you have any, uh, any words of wisdom for potential beginning aquascapers or even some of our more uh, intermediate or uh, advanced aquascapers? Yeah, and this, this also, if anyone's seen pictures of my goofy face. I do have a beard and this piece of advice I learned about beard trimming and I apply it to aquatic plant tanks. So bear with me. If you're trimming your beard and you make a mistake, don't try to fix it. Put down the scissors and walk away. Come back (laughs) when you're calmed down. So when you're planting your tank, remember, this is supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be enjoyable. And for me, I find it very relaxing. Sometimes plants just don't want to stay planted or that fish That corridorist goes right underneath that tuft of grass you just put there, and it goes right to the surface. Take a breath, put down your planting forceps, come back in an hour, and you'll be right as rain. Great advice. That actually holds for a lot of things, probably. <laughs> so, Beer trimming that. and plant growing. Exactly. Well, unfortunately, we are out of time, and I want to thank 
our guest again, Sam, and our producer, Mark Winter, for making this show possible. Sam, thanks very much again. I've been trying to get a planted tank aquascape person for a long time, so I really do appreciate your taking the time to, to uh, talk with us today. It's my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks again for joining us. Please be sure to check out Sam's links, which will be on our Aquarium Mania guest page for him. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for a show, email me at drroy at petliferadio.com. That's D-R-R-O-Y at PetLifeRadio.com. Until next time, keep your tanks clean and your tanks healthy and consider plants and aquascaping for your next project. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.